What's going on, guys? And welcome back to the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League, Bundesliga, and once again, the World Cup. I'm Billy, and with me is a man that I love almost as much as Lionel Messi loved winning the World Cup. It's Lewis. Oh, oh. Well, we did promise you, happy listeners, a World Cup rundown. So here it comes. And yes, I also love Billy as much as Messi does love winning the World Cup. I think that goes without saying. Anyways, we will be having a look at Messi and the GOAT debate and work out why Argentina are basically the Atletico Madrid of international football. Then we'll have to have a look at the racism towards French players, the racist attacks, much like they did in England, have crept up again, but this time in France. Then we'll have a look at the surprise runs of Morocco and Croatia. The smaller nations, quote-unquote, aren't so small. Then, of course, from the small nations who are coming up big, the big nations who have fallen short. We'll be having a look at, you know, Germany, Spain, Belgium, the upsets of the tournament. Then we'll also have a look at the whole One Love armband topic. It did turn so many heads, and it made the Qataris downright furious. And to top it all off, we will have a look at England, not living up to the expectations again. And of course, don't forget to stick around for our team of, I almost want to say the season, but no, our team of the World Cup. All that and more right after this. So Messi and the GOAT debate. Has it been settled? Blunt, just bluntly put. I'd like your opinion on this first before I voice my opinion, please. Fair enough. Seeing as you are the Ronaldo uh, fanboy of us both. And in all honesty, I, for the longest time, was also a big Ronaldo believer in the GOAT debate. But I have to. I have to. Just say, debate is over. Messi is the greatest footballer of all time. I've said it here on the podcast. That is my opinion. It is going down as such. You can't, or in my eyes, you can't deny it. That man has won everything you can possibly win. Be it with his club, be it with the national team. That man has been at the pinnacle of football. And he has been the main reason that his respective teams, whether it be Argentina or Barcelona or even this season, I'd argue PSG. He's been the reason that those respective teams have been winning. You know, the first season at PSG will discount because, yes, I also did criticize him for that. But since this season at PSG as well, he just is the the rock in attacking play. The man is unbelievable with his feet. He even finds the goal with his head. What more do you want to say from Rosario, Argentina, all the way to the top of the footballing world in Qatar? I, I, look, I can't argue with you. And look, the, the Ronaldo thing sucked because obviously the interview. Yeah, yeah. With um, he who shall not be named. <laughs> but, okay, look. He's won everything, okay? He's won our... But it wasn't just a messy World Cup. You know, the fact that they had Emmy Martinez had to essentially... 
bail them out twice in penalty shootouts. Well, yeah, but that, I mean, we, we've been through this as well. Every team is comprised, or World Cup winning team, is comprised of just that, a team. It's not Messi. I, I'm not saying Messi carried Argentina, but we're talking about a guy who scored, and he's the first player to do so, by the way, scored in every single round of the knockout stages in a World Cup. I don't want to piss on your uh, on your Messi parade, uh, and I'm made up for him. I really am. You know, I wasn't I wasn't looking forward to a World Cup final, but we we sat and watched it at work, and I, we got really into it. Yeah, but. Uh, Jairzinho scored in all the knockout rap matches in 1970, and he also scored in all three group stage games as well. Oof, well then, so embarrassed because... But then again, who really remembers the 1970 World Cup? Well, yeah, but still, as good sports reporters, we should be priding ourselves on, you know, fact accuracy. So there is a there is egg on my face, so to speak. You know, I, I was... I was leaning more towards France purely oh, because really? of the purely because of the sort of oh, everyone seemed to deify him. Do you know what I mean? Like you, okay, went I, the under, you went for the underdog, so to speak. Not necessarily the underdog, because this is gonna sound really tacky and really corny, but it was almost like a passing of of the torch type thing because Messi may have won the World Cup, but Mbappe scored a hat trick in that World Cup final. Yeah, as much as as much as it pains me to say, that man is also. If he finds another club, he's on the best possible track to do what Messi did. Because I, there is, there are very few players who will get to the world's biggest stage and do what Mbappe did. Even though I think that Mbappe has an ego the size of this planet. And I think he has let money go to his head. And I really dislike him for it. There is no denying the talent that that man has. No, there's not. And, and still. next World Cup, USA, Mexico and Canada 26, he's going to break Miroslav Klose's record. Klose's record yeah. is 16. And Mbappe at 23, not only has won a World Cup already, has 12 World Cup goals. Oh yeah, that that record. I mean, but you know, what's the good uh, Michael Schumacher quote? Records are there to be broken. Exactly. You know, and the first player to score a hat trick in a World Cup final since Jeff Hurst against West Germany in '66, including that one that was definitely not over the, over line. the line. Not over the line. You cannot. You line. cannot be angry about that after no, just, the robbery of 2010. I know, but that's why. That's what I'm saying. Just as that ball was definitely over the line in 2010, in 2010, the ball was not over the line in '66. But there we go. That's that's where we said you know football has come full circle. So uh, the last thing we'll say on the goat debate. The only thing I will say is as much as I don't know, I'm not lost any love for Ronaldo. I will always love Ronaldo. But Messi is the most naturally gifted player. Well, yeah, I, I, think, I think there ever will be. Well, I mean, I think uh, Ibrahimovic said it best. Messi is, you know, pure talent and Ronaldo's a trained product. I find it a little bit disrespectful 
to say Ronaldo is a trained product because it sounds almost like he was, you know, man-made in the lab, which he wasn't. You know, he is the embodiment of pure will and hard work. Obviously, he also has a certain amount of talent to get where he is, but, you know, hard work will always show itself. I'm not saying Messi doesn't work hard either, but if you're looking at it, Messi had, probably has more natural-born talent than Ronaldo does. And I think that's kind of basically was the separation of the two. But for me, at the end of the day, it just is the fact, you know, Messi has now achieved everything you can in football, like fully. There are players who've come very close to that, but, you know, some players like maybe um, Schweinsteiger who never won a Euros, that might be the trophy missing from his cabinet. You know, very, very many, there are a few players who've come close to achieving what Messi has, but Messi is... I I didn't like the fact that people were like putting him on the same level as Pelé and, and Maradona. I think Messi is above them. It's difficult to I mean, but Pelé won three World Cups, and that's the argument that people will always give. But I mean, my uh, I argument can't argue. I can't argue because you can't, uh, you can't argue with it. But my argument no. to that still is footballers now much more difficult yeah are a hell of a lot better than football as well but then i think with the exception of maybe maradona yeah because i mean for one thing the offside rule well not just that it just it, it it's just a much seems faster, to be... yeah, it's a much faster pace there i mean obviously things are going to evolve it's you like know, if it, you look at defenders from back then they yeah heavily struggle and also Santos kind of keep taking the shine off of Pele every time someone gets close to a record they go oh no actually we've uh, had a little bit of a dig round and we found uh, 90 goals that Pele scored in like a charity match in Plymouth Argyle yeah and I mean not forgetting the fact that Pele also went to New York Cosmos which you know I'm sorry but I mean Messi's done PSG it's not much better yeah, okay, you got you do have a point there. Destroying teams in the French league is, you know, stat padding. Anyway, exactly. should we move on from the goat debate and just touch on Argentina, which you know, fantastic. Congratulations on on winning the World Cup first time in what thirty six years since Mexico eighty six, and they did it by being complete and utter bastards. Yeah, but I want to quickly before we do lay into Argentina's team a little bit. The scenes in Buenos Aires the next day. Oh, it's fantastic. I'm absolute pandemonium. And it for me, it almost negates, you know, the couple of, or the way Argentina were in some in some matches. Almost. I say almost. Because you just see what it means to that nation. You know, that nation obviously struggling so much um you know off the pitch and that basically you know it was the elusive title and it was the pinnacle of what everyone already said you know Messi boot just has to win a world cup just it just is so fitting for a player of his stature and i think it was great to see those scenes and i think every footballer or every football fan will have watched that final and actually and even gotten a tad bit emotional. I definitely thought about, you know, it, it kind of hit you still, even though you weren't like, I'm not Argentinian and by all means, not 
exactly vested in that final in 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 that sense and it still made me emotional to see the best player that we will probably ever see play you know obviously it's a very very uh forward uh statement there but one of the best players or the best player i've ever seen play lifting that final puzzle piece for a beautiful career and i think you know even even my girlfriend told me you know it would she got emotional and she's not even as vested of a football fan as i am so i think it touches a lot more than just or it resonates a lot more with, than just with argentine fans but now i've praised that i have to live into argentina a little bit and i think you want to as well so i'll let you have first say it's not so much laying in and i kind of get it and i want to i want to ask you first about emmy martinez yeah, because a penalty shootout from a goalkeeper's perspective cannot be easy. A penalty shootout anyway isn't easy, especially mentally. So when he does mind games and when he, uh, like when Shurmany came up to take his penalty, when he throws the ball to the edge of the box, when he sort of, the referee pushes him away, says go and stand on the line, and he comes back and almost pushes the referee over, takes the yellow card. It's shithousery at its finest because it clearly got in his head and the oh, yeah. little dances as well afterwards. Well, I mean, first of all, the, the, the dance clear provocation. Yes. But on the other hand, his reasoning, uh, what was it exactly? The French were a tad bit too arrogant for my taste. I think were his exact words, uh, that resonates a little bit with me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I can, I can understand that. But coming back to the shithousery, as a goalkeeper, you, I, I feel like not in, it's not said enough what an advantage the person taking the penalty has in this scenario. It should be well over 75%. Obviously, I think a lot of field players will come up to me and say, oh, you know, you know how nervous you can get with doing that. My friend, you are taking a shot from just 11 meters of distance without any single defender coming at you. And I, as a goalkeeper, have to stand planted on the freaking line. That ball should technically be go. I mean, if you look at, you know, just the pure footballing aspect of it, that ball should probably be going in 99% of the time. So when people get worked up about a goalkeeper, you know, pulling stunts like that i can't under or i i mean you, you're welcome to have your opinion but i can't understand it because a goalkeeper needs to use every single you know trick up his sleeve that he can or she can to get anywhere near or to or to get anywhere near to a 50 50 even shot in this scenario which for me personally, I also think as a goalkeeper, it always makes a penalty shootout more fun in that sense, because as a goalkeeper, you can only win. You have nothing to lose. Everyone expects the striker to make a shot. Yeah, very true. I think that's probably explained it very well. Like I said, I've got no issue with that. I think it's uh, it's gamesmanship. Exactly. Which, contrary to what the outfield players do, and you said it in the intro, the Atletico Madrid of international football, it is that, if I go down, I'll scream the loudest and I'll get the free kick. I'll 
go down clutching uh, my knee or my ankle and get the game stopped and things like that it's they're very bitty well it's it's not even it's it's not only that i think for me the thing that really did my head in the most was way the way they celebrated in the faces of the faces of the dutch after the penalty shootout i have no problem when like sprinting towards your keeper or towards the penalty taker but to go up into the faces of the of the team you just beat and you know shout about in you know right up close to them i'm surprised vehicles didn't clock messi right there and then look i i got, yeah sorry <laughs> i've got no issue with it really i've got no issue with it and all the english pundits and all the english journalists going oh well this is disgusting it's not fitting with the the, the beautiful game that we've come to know and love it's like lads there's literally the exact same picture of like Harry Maguire, Jordan Henderson, whoever it was that was there when England beat Colombia in 2018. It's just because it's such a high stress, like a proper explosive moment because it could yeah. be taken away from you or you can win it with, with a one kick of a ball. So I've got no issue with it. It's the, and I know they were a lot better with adding the time on in this World Cup, which is fantastic. But it's still that oh, if I shout loudest or if I roll around more, I'll get the free kick. And you know, some of them weren't free kicks. And Well, here that, that, that brings me to an interesting point because I think we have to talk about the officiating at World Cups as well. And I know it should be you know a game for everyone. But my question to you is this. Shouldn't we be putting the top referees, which are mainly from Europe, shouldn't we be putting those referees in the top fastest-paced matches? England v. France comes to mind. Uh, I've got a little thing about this, the Brazilian referee from there. I was We at ITV had a referee pundit that we would go to during our live matches. Yeah. Uh Peter Walton he used to referee in the Premier League. And I was I spoke to him one morning over coffee and asked him about it the next day. And he was of the opinion that he let the occasion get in the way of the officiating because in, in Brazil he's known as a very good referee. He's a very good official where he does his club officiating. But the the fact that it was two of the biggest teams at the World Cup, it was a quarter final. It was he he let you know in in his want to not fuck anything up, he just didn't make any decisions at all. So we're talking the the foul in inverted commas on Bukayo Saka. That oh Jesus! In the lead up to Arulian Shumani's goal, we're talking the first foul on Harry Kane that should have been a penalty. There should have been about five, I feel like, in that game. You know, we're talking... He didn't even give... He gave the first penalty. Fair enough. Okay. But Teo Hernandez on Mason Mount. That that shouldn't... that You shouldn't have to look at VAR for that. So, yeah, in his wants to not mess anything up, he ended up not making any decisions at all. Okay, but... but 
con you know flip side to that if we if we're going to slag a referee off i think um marciniak or marciniak the final referee mm -hmm. did very well he let things run he let things you know there was the odd one where it was like oh it doesn't look like a foul but then again it, we just spoke about gamesmanship from argentina if you make it look worse in the heat of a moment a referee will just go free kick the the last thing before we move on to Morocco and Croatia and Argentina was did you see the shirt that Lionel Scaloni was wearing uh in the celebrations afterwards? No. So he, the normal one with the three Adidas stripes and the three stars underneath. No, he wore he so he won the under twenty World Cup with Argentina. Mm -hmm. And he was number eighteen in that tournament. He had that shirt on. No from right. nineteen ninety seven. Oh, that is a great that that is a great little find. Love that. Love so that. that 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 made me quite happy. But what else made me quite happy was the journey that Croatia and Morocco took. I know you've, uh, you know, Croatia a little bit more special for you. Well, yeah, obviously having a half Croatian girlfriend is kind of kind of uh, makes it a little bit more special. And I mean, at least I had something, you know, kind of to watch after germany exited so early but we'll get to that in a minute i know that i could praise croatia a lot but for me the team that stands out even more than croatia is morocco just has to be said for a team from north africa to take it the furthest any african team has done unbelievable the way they did it the fact that they didn't concede an actual goal other than an own goal up until the semifinals is it's nothing short of ridiculous that is unbelievable and i think you know i can't remember who said it. i think it might have even been the moroccan head coach himself he said in the next few years an african team will win a world cup i wouldn't put it past them you know morocco have showed that they came extremely close to doing so and i think you can't praise them enough and maybe or i think more and more teams have now you know also got in you know african players and they're bringing them together there are also you know players who have you know, whose parents have um immigrated to countries in europe who then decided to play for their you know parents um or their you know where they came from originally um and i think there's just so much that is growing in african football and I think we'll see the fruits of that in the next few World Cups. And it's not, you know, we've already seen, you know, the European dominance now ended by Argentina. And I think we could also see an end to the Europe, South America football and connection that have basically, you know, ruled World Cup football since its inception. I mean, they've got a really good team, Morocco, especially in the, there were a couple of standouts. Yeah. So you've, got, you've got Unai, who plays for Angers in uh liga who i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie Angers, not that nothing special but no but i i'd wager they're gonna get a, a nice price from either in january or the summer and another one from fiorentina who's already been linked with a move to liverpool is uh sofian amrabat i was about to say if amrabat isn't the next word out of your mouth i <laughs> oh, wasn't gonna be sofian buffal was it i hope not former west ham <laughs> Southampton. Southampton. Jesus Christ. 
Why did I? Who did I have thinking of West Ham? Is there a Moroccan player? Uh, no, but there was Sofian Faguli. That's the one. I'll give you that. Again, dog shit. But <laughs> when you've got, I mean, I don't know why Macron was so involved with the French national team. But when you've got Macron going into the Moroccan dressing room after the semi-final and telling Amrabat you're the best midfielder at this World Cup. Which is true, by the way. Which is true, by the way. But when you've got the likes of, you know, I know De Bruyne didn't have a fantastic... I'm sorry, any team, Cup, but... any team that got kicked out of the group stages, none of those players could, should be getting anywhere near best player of the tournament or whatever. Just by default. I feel dumb having to say that. <laughs> I, I don't know because they beat they beat France on penalties. I mean, they were they were three of the worst penalties from Sarabia, Soler, and the now retired from international football, Sergio Busquets. Yeah, I was about to say Spain didn't really threaten. I think Spain, and I guess I mean this this would have been a perfect perfect segue into uh, the biggest upsets, but we'll we'll keep that away you know, for a little bit later. But, you know, just one comment, you know, Spain kind of built up at the very beginning and then just kind of ebbed away for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, I mean, Morocco, they've got Yassin Bono, who is... Bono, I have to say, like, he... Ridiculous what he's done at this World Cup. He's already... I've definitely seen some of his games for Sevilla where I already think he's a very good keeper. In all honesty, I thought while I was watching him at Sevilla, he was Spanish. So then when I saw him on uh, on the Moroccan team, I was like, ah, he's not Spanish. <laughs> um, funnily enough, Ashraf Hakimi could have played for Spain. Well, that was another one, Ashraf Hakimi. And but then we've knew... also got Nusem Ashrawi. Yeah, but we, we knew Hakimi was going to be one of these stars to head up that Moroccan side. Because, you know, we've seen his quality when he played for Dortmund. Um that secured him a move to PSG. PSG, he is, you know, the starting fullback every day of the week. Hakimi's quality was not ever in question. For me, even as a Bayern fan, I was surprised at how well Masrawi did. Because, you know, we saw him, he's done well for Ajax, obviously getting into, you know, a star-studded team like Bayern is going to be hard. But he's been getting more and more playing time, you know, over the course of the season as it progresses. And now the World Cup, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts over over Pava. And that just goes to show how a World Cup can change things at a club. Because Pava, you know, had probably his worst World Cup. Well, apparently the French coaches and the French bench are getting increasingly more and more pissed off with uh, Pava. Funnily enough, uh, Sport 1 have uh, debunked those rumours. Oh, fair enough. But he's still, you know. Well, yeah, he was still dropped by uh, Didier Deschamps. And he did publicly give a reason that he felt he was neither physically nor mentally ready to start a game. Which he's admitted himself that he struggled mentally. So, you know, you can't really be be criticised for that. But And then the, the attacking players from Morocco. We've not seen the best of Hakim Ziyech at Chelsea, but we know what he's capable of. Sofian Bufal is so hot and cold. like He can score a goal like he did against West Brom where he'll dribble through the entire team or he can not make a five-yard pass. And then you've got Yusuf Nasseri, who again, Sevilla, and again, is a solid striker. 
Yeah, and I think Thiers showed so much quality. He was basically like the Paul Pogba of uh, Morocco for his club, not anywhere near what he is for his national team. You know, Thiers was basically the the focal point in that attack. Well, should we talk about the other surprise package? Yes. World Cup finalists last time. Third place winners this time. They have a Nations League finals. Final four, yeah. Thing. So it isn't the end of an international career for Luka Modric, but. I'm of the opinion it should have been. I'd say you could almost. I'd, okay, I can agree with that. Um, you know, go out on a high would be my reasoning for that. Because obviously, a lost World Cup final, they were still celebrated like mad back home in Croatia the last time around. But this time around, it was even more to celebrate because, you know, I think if, if you ask someone, would you rather be second? place and lose a world cup final or win third place at a world cup you know 100 percent of the time they're going to take third place but you i think it's a hard one to look at for croatian football fans because one of the big things i noticed they were missing was a big striker up front which mario manzukic was 2018 they were missing that focal point up top. Well, I mean, they had that in Kramaric, but they played him deeper because they wanted to fit in. I'd argue Lovato. Kramaric is not the same. He's not the, he's not the same as Mandzukic, but he's still a target man. If only Luka Jovic was uh, Croatian, not Serbian. <laughs> you, you know, if only Lionel Messi was Croatian and not Argentinian, I... Okay, I'm sorry. It's a little bit closer. Croatia and Serbia do share a border. Yeah, but still, I mean, come on. I expect more from you, Lewis. You've let me down there. Yeah, okay, fine. Fair enough. But so I, it's it's probably going to be the end. We, we won't see Luka Modric or Ivan Perisic at another World Cup. No, but I'd argue that the Euros in about 18 months' time is still in the realm of possibilities. Potentially, but it's, even it's, though Modric will be about what thirty nine by that time, Modric should be longer by then. I think. Put Gail Platt out to pasture. No. Oh. Um, but it's uh, it's not all doom and gloom because they've got a very good young team. So the goalkeeper uh, Levakovic. Oh, standout, standout keepers. One of the standout keepers of this World Cup. If it if it wasn't for Bono or. Emmy Martinez. I'm going to argue against you on that one later. Okay, fair enough. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Josip Stanisic, the right back. Josko Gvardio. Gvardio, I mean, oh my God. He's not staying at Leipzig for long. Well, not a chance. I that, saw he's, this, gone, he's gone within the next 18 months. 100%. I saw this earlier. Maybe even the next year. Let me just find it. Mm-hmm. Where did I see it about Josko Gvardio? It was about his release clause of like a hundred million euros. I'm guaranteeing you someone like PSG, like Real Madrid, like Barcelona would pay that. Chelsea, a link with him, United City. 
United or City could probably pay that as well. So I you know, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want him to go to Chelsea because Chelsea right now are in this complete finding phase. They don't here even, we go. They so, don't know who their best eleven is yet. So this is from our our friend, our good friend, uh, Pletigo. Oh. From, from Sky Sports Germany. Josko Gvardiol's new contract to RB Leipzig has a 110 million euro release clause that can only be activated in 2024. So you either pay through the absolute nose or you wait until next summer. I was about to say, if, I think if Sorry. you wanted to pay right now for Gvardiol, you'd probably go, he'd probably go for north of 120. Exactly. And which I think is also good because he should still because at Leipzig he's got a top uh facility, he's got a club on the up and up, a club who's also regularly going for top four, and he's still very young. You know, he made his debut for or his debut tournament was the Euros last year. Um, and everyone was already raving about him then. And now he's I mean one of the best center backs in the world. Yeah. It's it's utterly ridiculous. And everyone's going, oh yeah, but Messi, Messi is Messi. That's you can discount that completely. I was about to say Messi turned Boateng in and out when he was the world's best center back at the time, 2015. You know, I nearly bought you a poster with that on it. Dick. Do you know what? I'll send you a picture of, I don't know, some... Come on, bring it on. I'm, I'm right now, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I support oh, United. You, you cannot hurt me. I support oh, United. You cannot hurt me. I was casting around for like the perfect poster, and then I was like, well, it should have been the easiest thing ever. Aguero. That was just unnecessary. But you... <laughs> you wanted to send me a poster of one of the most painful moments in Bayern's Champions League history. Not that they haven't made up for that since, you know, with decimating Barcelona. I just have to use every opportunity that I can to mention that. It's fine. It's fine. We try not to be biased on this podcast, but a couple of times it does slip through. We try. Not very successful. Doesn't go very well. <laughs> so can we just touch on something? A bit unsavory, not a bit unsavory, very a bit unsavory. unsavory. Oh, let me rephrase that because it makes me sound like a little bit of a racist. <sighs> I'm not, I swear. Don't worry, Bill. I think we, if, if you were one, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now on this. Podcast. No, that's that's very true, exactly. So, yeah, before we move on to Spain, Germany, Belgium. Ugh. I think we have to talk about something very unsavory. And we saw it after the Euros. With directed England, yeah. at Sancho, Rashford and Saka. At the moment, Randall Kolomouani, who incidentally, one of the players that changed that final for France, because before he came on, they were 2-0 down and, and they were they were out like that. That was it. Uh, Kingsley Coman... He also revitalized that team. I'm sorry, Kingsley Coman was one of the reasons why Mbappe got into that scoring position in the first place. You know, they, they've had to deactivate their social media because of the racist abuse. And 
we don't know what that's like. But if you're one of the people, oh, yeah. if that's if that's your reaction to losing a game of football, I incidentally one of the greatest games of football I've ever, I think I've ever seen. Yeah. If that's your reaction to them missing penalties or to Chances, yeah, Kola missing that chance. Incidentally, by the way, not a missed chance. Another fantastic save by Emmy Martinez. That one save, of the, yeah, that save should have been on a level with a goal scored. I'm gonna say save of the century because of the time it was it was 123 minutes would have been last kick of the game i in all honesty i saw i think it was otamendi slip under that under that long ball and i thought that's it but if if your reaction to that is to then go and abuse people because of the color of their skin you want your head checking like um, we we said I mean, this I, after I, the you Euros. Can't say it other, yeah, you can't say it other than unfucking believable. You know, and we won't keep banging on about it because we. The, but if you do see it on social media, then report it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Flag it down. They Instagram have ways of reporting comments like this. Don't just sit there and you know say, "Oh, that's a bad comment." Let's keep scrolling. Call but, people out on it, do whatever, because that has that has no place, whether it be in sport or anywhere else. I'm uh, to also take it, you know, from a sporting standpoint. France would be nowhere near a World Cup if it weren't for players like Coman, like Kolomuani, like Chuamini, like Upamecano. France would be down and out of the group stage if you like. If you racists just want an all-white French team, have fun. Maybe not even going to a World Cup. In all honesty, it makes me so so angry when when people do that. It's unbelievable. So, if I was to say to you that a country's golden generation would be out of the group stages, and there was incredible disharmony in the team, players wouldn't talk to each other. There were arguments. There were constant rows and bickering. What's the first word that would come to your head? Belgium. Con- congratulations. <laughs> I mean, sorry, but you know the fact that it's taken this long for disharmony to come to that team. I'm surprised Kevin De Bruyne and Thibaut Courtois are still playing the same team, considering <laughs> Thibaut Courtois snaked Kevin De Bruyne's girlfriend away by legit her cheating on De Bruyne with Courtois. The fact that they still shared the pitch wearing the same kit is, I don't know. I'm sorry. De Bruyne, hats off. That definitely takes being the bigger man. But, you know, I I think, who, who said, I think what it was even Courtois saying, you know, why are you guys calling us a golden generation? We didn't win anything. He's yeah. right. Uh, before the tournament, Kevin De Bruyne was asked, I've got, I've got a list actually. I'll just reel these off. Oh, um, so before the tournament, Kevin De Bruyne was asked before the, uh, you know, are you capable of winning it? He said, no, we're all too old. Um, he was also asked about, you know, why do they concede so many goals? He went, well, maybe the defense is too, too slow. Um, to which Jan Vertonghen then clapped back with, well, we don't score many goals either. So maybe the midfield and attacker too, are too slow. 
Well, if you've got rows like that already happening, I'm sorry. But for me, the thing is, Kevin DeBlanc is the captain of that team. And he's literally gone up before the tournament's even started and said, no, we're too old. Any team going into this into this competition should be going in with the mentality, we can win this thing if everything goes our way. Can I make a point here? Just because he's their best player does not necessarily mean he should be captain. He's not captain material. Well, yeah, which but is, he but that, which is, is in, ca- in, in club teams as well. That's what I mean, which is why he's not Man City captain, which is why it's Ilkay Gundogan. Who incidentally wasn't much of a leader when it came to Germany. No. We'll talk about that in a sec. But, in a sec, yeah. yeah. Was it the Morocco game? I think it was the Morocco game. Morocco were a decent striker away from being knocked out of that World Cup. But Romelu Lukaku is, I don't want to use the word, but an absolute fucking donkey. I want to say a couple of, okay, a couple of those. I I want to say two of the misses that he did have, they look really bad. But if you put any person other than maybe Lewandowski, Messi or Ronaldo into those situations, they don't convert those. I'm sorry. They come, you know, pell-mell deflected off of five different players to his feet when no one in their right mind would be expecting that. I have to defend him on a couple of those. One of those, 100% he should have made. But, yeah, the but other this two. this is a man with a hundred plus Premier League goals. But like I just said, take Messi, Ronaldo, and Lewandowski away from that equation. No one else makes those. I think Harry Kane scores most of those, especially the one where it just you know he heads it over the bar. Mm. But that's the one I'm saying that that one you no, can't. There do was it. there was another one from ridiculously close range where he just sort of let it hit. It hits. It just lets it hit him. And. I don't have the best relationship with Lukaku because <laughs> of the horrendous two seasons. Oh, the first season, oh, okay, he was fantastic. And then he just sort of... He was oh. best known for his touch t- taking him down. I think it was the most common phrase at uni. His touch takes him down the M25. Yeah, it was like uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, in his first season, Lukaku's first season, said, oh, um, I'll make a bet with you. Every time you miss control of the ball, you owe me fifty pounds. And Lukaku said no because you'd be bankrupt. Like probably. So Belgium, they haven't got a coach anymore. Um, the <laughs> like, attacking outplay teams in this World Cup. Yeah, the uh, the attacking outplay um, should probably mean Thierry Henry shouldn't be allowed anywhere near an attacking coaching role anytime soon. I I, I love him, but stick to punditry. You're just better at it. Yeah, it's kind of hard, it's kind of hard to argue with the fact that they scored so little. Let's talk about Spain. I'm saving the best till last. Sorry, yeah. I'm the worst till last in your case. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about Spain because before the tournament, Luis Enrique was streaming on Twitch and he was going to be giving insights into like the games and like <laughs> sort of like breakdowns. And I thought it was a really good idea. Oh, it is a great idea. I would have loved to watch that. If it's I a just fantastic idea. Unfortunately, I don't speak. <laughs> fluent spanish exactly um and yet they had a fantastic opening game putting seven past costa rica and everyone sort of went oh okay 
maybe this Spain team have something about them. And then it turned out they didn't. Well, it turned out Costa Rica were just that bad. I mean, when one of your players is Joel Campbell. (laughs) (laughs) Who, incidentally, I remember from 2014. Yeah. How fucking old is Joel Campbell? But anyway. Yeah, no, uh, like I said, um, you know, previously, Spain kind of reached their peak right in the first game, and it only went downhill after that. They only just managed to keep themselves in the knockout stages because, funnily enough, Germany managed to win a game. (laughs) If not for Germany winning that game, it would have been Germany and Spain bottom two of that group. You know what? For that glorious six-minute period when it was Japan and Costa Rica going through, I actually kind of wanted it to happen because yeah. no matter what, no matter what Germany did, it w- it didn't matter in the end. So let's just look at the let's look at the team that went out on penalties to Morocco. I mean, they got to practice at penalties, man. Cool, Jesus quickly. Christ! So let's just have a look at that that squad quickly or that team. So you've got Unai Simon in goal, who I've made my feelings known about this. Yeah, he's decent, but he's not. Uh, but David David De Gea said to Luis Enrique, "If I'm not going to going to be number one, don't bother taking me." Yeah, he wasn't taken, and then the Spanish FA sent him a letter of congratulations on retiring from international football, which is a little bit of a slap in the face, but on the other hand, is a little bit of shit housery as well because it just yep. means he's never getting selected again. Um, Marcos Marcos Llorente at right back, you know Marcos Llorente, that that box to box midfielder for Atletico Madrid. Uh, playing at right back, Rodri, that defensive midfielder for Man City, playing at centre back a lot alongside Armeric Laporte. So that should be a French player. <laughs> that's 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 two players in their correct position, one of which is French. Yeah. Uh, Jordi Alba, who's now too old. He's way past it. Uh, midfield, two of the midfield, Gavi and Pedri. Unbelievable players in their own right, but they still have a little bit, you know. Sergio Busquets should no, not be anywhere near that squad. It should be Rodri at the holding position. And then you've got Danny Olmo, Asensio, and Ferran Torres on the bench. But why are you playing Rodri at centre-back when you have Pau Torres, Cesar Azpilicueta, and Eric Garcia on the bench? Beyond me. Just just Pau Torres already, what he's done for Villarreal is, you know, he was one of the rocks of defense that kicked Bayern out of the Champions League last season. Why isn't he given, been giving a chance? Eric Garcia has proven time and time again that he's a good center back. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, no. Well, come on, back, back that up, please. No, I watched him play for Man City. It's absolutely terrible. I'm. I still think that there's a better center back in him than there is in Rodri. I'm sorry. Oh well, yeah, but that's because it's his actual position. <laughs> Love uh, that. I think uh, Balde, when he played, was so yeah. much better than uh, Jordi Alba. It's just the front three. Just uh, Ferran Torres. Okay, he was he was meh at Man City. He's incredibly meh at Barcelona, and again. 
Asensio can't get a game in at Real Madrid. Yeah, so you're playing someone who's not that great anyway. Someone who can't get a game for his club and Danny Olmo, whose game time has been limited because of injuries. But then when you're bringing people like Pablo Sarabia, who's not even at PSG anymore, Carlos Soler, I mean, you might as well just thrown it in. But Alvaro Morata was their top scorer. Played fantastically well. And you might as well just put Nico Williams in as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, an uninspiring Spanish side who... I don't know. Well, they're going to have a change of coach now anyway because Luis Enrique is gone. They're going to have to. Uh, F's in the chat, guys. <laughs> Little twitch humour for those uh, for those listeners. Uh, yeah, I, like, I don't know. I don't want to linger on this too long because this is already going to be quite a long episode anyway. Yeah, fair enough. I think so, well, Spain, Spain still made it out of their group, so uh, you can't... I wouldn't say that's the biggest upset. It, uh, look, Spain only made it out because there were two worst teams in that in that group. One was Costa Rica, and the other was Germany. And yeah. I, I, I've got nothing to say here apart from the loss against Japan. That was the, the, that, the that two was, players, yeah. two players that play in Germany, in Asano and uh, Do, uh, uh, Doan. I, what what went wrong, Lewis, at this World Cup? I've got... I mean, it, first, first of all, it's not nothing can be more poetic than Asano and and Doan scoring the two goals to kick Germany out when they do both play in Germany. Um, also, judging by the fact Asano hasn't been having a stellar season with Bochum, Doan, on the other hand, solid season with Freiburg. Uh, but that's beside the point. There are a couple of reasons that I think Germany got kicked out. Um, one, you didn't have a real leader in that team. Um, save the for, for the fact that there were, you know, as in 2018, multiple camps of players in that in that squad. Um, a player who really would have been perfect for the center back position and should have probably been taken instead of Nito, Nico Schlotterbeck is uh, Mats Hummels. I mean, we already unpacked this before the tournament even started, started but you said, Hummels, why? I mean, is there any, like, you said, I think we both, we were, I was a little bit critical of Schlotterbeck before the tournament. I'm definitely critical of him now. Do you think he still comes back from this at Dortmund, or is it, you know... You have to look that he, or you have to watch out that he doesn't now sink it to a hole. Form wise, oh, oh no, he definitely comes back from it. I think that he wasn't the biggest problem in that Germany side. In the defense, at least, the biggest problem was playing Niklas Sula at right back. It's like having a fridge. The thing is, Germany are are missing a right back. That, that's plain as day. Tino Kera is a hybrid of center and right back, as is Lukas Klusemann. The former, or the the latter of which played one freaking game all season long. And then the minute he comes back from injury, the World Cup starts and he still is selected, which we both also said makes no sense. So he didn't have anyone to put it right back. Zun has been played at right back before. He did well in that position at Bayern, kind of good at Dortmund, was nowhere near it at this World Cup. 
Rudiger, the skip that he did before like blocking the ball out of play against Japan was like the definition of gloating before the full 90 minutes have been played. You know, it's not over until the fat lady sings and Japan made such use of that. You know, and for me, I, I also think it was too much in general concentrating on the happenings around the tournament rather than on the actual football. And I've always been a very big um, supporter of the, you know, the notion that athletes and, you know, celebrities in general should use their platform to also do good in the world politically. In this scenario, however, and obviously also everyone's wiser after the fact, but I think in this scenario, if the German FA had taken action and had basically shielded the players from having to take action, that would have been a lot better for the sporting aspect of this whole tournament. But I think, and I think for me, it was the fact, one of the biggest factors of this tournament was just this whole deal with the armband and making a political statement and not enough concentration on the actual sport being played, at least from the player's perspective. The German FA had a perfect platform to make all the statements they wanted and do everything and basically keep the heat off the players. In the sense that, and when the German FA did nothing and the players felt that they had to now take action, that was the minute that they took their minds from the full 100% concentration on the game to only being concentrated on the game 99%. And everyone knows that at that level, if you're not 100% focused on this game, that's it. Yeah, I mean, England had a similar thing. Harry Kane was going to wear the One Love rainbow armband. Uh, FIFA threatened, like, there was a fear they could essentially just be sent off after the first whistle. Yeah. Um, along with, like, financial ramifications, yeah, ramifications yeah. and further repercussions and things like that. So it was a massive fuck-up from start to finish from every football association that was going to do it and sticking with the bullshit different armband for each round. But We'll talk about England in a second, but what I know that so for people that don't know, what have Germany done? What have the DFB done? And what do they, in your opinion, need to do? So basically what they've done is first of all, sporting director Oliver Bierhoff, who's been in that position essentially for the last 18 years, he stepped down. As a sporting director of the so football association, obviously you are, you know, responsible for the goings on of how, of the work of the inner workings of the club um, from top to bottom. Secondly, they've got a crisis management team or a crisis uh, task squad comprising of ex football directors and such. Incidentally, Oliver Kahn. Right now, Bayern CEO, Hans-Joachim Batzke, Dortmund CEO, uh, ex-Bayern CEO, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, the former Bayern sporting director and also Borussia Dortmund player, Matthias Zama, 
and who is now also incidentally the Dortmund um, consultant, if you will, and the Red Bull CEO, Oliver Minzlaff, who was also so, sporting director. So they're not guys who are, you know, without competence in the area of football. No, I've seen Per Mertesacker thrown around as a potential sporting director replacement. There are a couple of names. Some people have also wanted Michael Balak, uh, Basan Schweinsteiger, a lot of ex-pros. In all honesty, I don't know who would be best suited because I think if, you know, Per Mertesacker, he's always had an analytical mind as well. I think, you know, I think he's done it very well for uh, Germany um, while well, he was you know, on the one of the pundits for ZDF um, throughout this World Cup, he's always had a very good analytical mind of you know every game and such. But the question is, of a sporting director, you also have to be able to play politics. You have to be able to know what is going wrong in an um, in a for like from a business standpoint in an organization, and that's where Pam Matasaka might also be the right man for the job in the sense that he's also been in management um, at Arsenal. Now, if he wants to basically step away from that, uh, from that role is a whole new thing entirely. And honestly, I right now don't have a best or a top pick yet. No, um, that's, that's I think the task enough. force, I think the task force was a good idea. You know, they also had a task force when, you know, the beginning of the 2000s, uh, especially, you know, in the year 2000, when Germany really was also down and out. And at the end of the day, you need a task force because, you know, this, it's just been a shit show since the, since the Confederations Cup win in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And just, with England, because I, this is going to be a long episode before we talk and finish up with team in the tournament. I was going to say, you just have at it with England. I've got nothing. I'm not angry. I'm not. I'm annoyed because, you know, the Harry Kane misses a penalty. You, you can't really account for things like that. That's not a management problem. The officiating in that game, again, is not a Southgate problem. I think the only criticism is the substitutes and when he makes them. Yeah. But that's when we had at the at the Euros and the 2018 World Cup. I think it's good that he's staying it to you know into 2024 for the Euros. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I enjoy watching tournament England football again. That's you know the, I I feel like the roles have been reversed now. Like now I just can't stand watching tournament football uh, when Germany play and England has actually been a team now to watch. It's kind you of know, like a, you know, we had, we had that supposed golden generation that won nothing. We had some absolute dross under Fabio Capello <laughs> and Sven, Joran Eriksson. And the less I talk about Roy Hodgson, the better for my mental health. Nah, Sam Allardyce. Come on, big boy, big Sam, big, big Sam, the only England manager with a 100% win record. <laughs> if you take away the fact that he was only in charge of one game, Look, it's 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 horrible going out of the quarterfinal. We probably, you know, if we beat France, we probably, you know, it's one of those you can't you can't say. Do we even beat Morocco? Do we? 
beat Argentina. You know, do we go 2-0 down against Argentina and then just collapse? It's one of those. But I, I'm not one of these people calling for Southgate's head because who's the, who are the replacements? You're not going to get Pochettino. You're not going to get the likes of Zidane. You're not going to get Graham Potter because he's just gone to Chelsea. You won't get Eddie Howe because of the project he's got now at Newcastle. And people going, oh, yeah, but it's the England job. It's a massive job. It's not. Club football is still bigger, yeah. A more prestigious international uh, management prospect than international management. I think the only person they could potentially have got in if Southgate decided to walk away would be his assistant, Steve Holland, which is just the most uninspired decision. It's very FA, it's safe, which is what Gareth Southgate was. But he's got me liking England again. And now, for something we all love. We do this at the end of each season and we, we pick our our teams and we, we argue for the players. And we're we're yeah. gonna do it now with the World Cup team. And I think we're already gonna have a, a disagreement on the goalkeeper. Yeah, we will, because we've already it's already kind of been uh, foretold. But in all honesty, I know I'm gonna get a lot of a lot of stick for this. But I'm going to put Divakovic in goal. And not Emmy Martinez. Reason being, Divakovic and Martinez both had single-handedly carried their teams into a um, you know, into the well, they both single-handedly carried their teams through penalty shootouts. I'd argue Livakovic did one better because he managed to save three in one shootout. And his performance against Brazil, he single-handedly kept Croatia in that game when they were pretty much down and out for a good majority of that of, of those 90 minutes and then even in extra time. There's a reason Divakovic is being linked with a bigger move. He was even thrown around as a potential replacement for Manuel Neuer because of his uh, leg break. I I just have to give. I'm going with Livakovic, but I you know, I would like to hear the rebuttal first. Well, my rebuttal is that Emmy Martinez uh, was the Golden Glove winner, saved penalties in a World Cup final shootout. And the fact that such a sliding doors moment, if Bernd Leno never gets injured a few seasons ago, Emmy Martinez never plays. He doesn't win the FA Cup with Arsenal. He doesn't want more game time, doesn't move to Aston Villa and isn't Argentina's number one. So the fact that he's taken his opportunity with both hands and absolutely run with it. And it has now won the Copper America and now the World Cup being the, in my opinion, keeper of the tournament. I'm not discounting Lavakovic or the or Bono or anything, but I think the fact that he, you know, he was saved two penalties in a World Cup final shootout. I could see myself being swayed. I'm. There obviously is the compelling argument that he did win the Golden Glove. Um, 
I think for me, the big one would be the fact that he saved two penalties in a World Cup final. But I'll give you that. Thank you very much. Uh, for the for the sake of time, do you want to give me? Are you playing a back four? Am I playing a back four? Yes. Do you want to just give me the back four then, instead of arguing each player individually? Uh, Hakimi right back, um, Gvardiol centre back, Upamecano centre back, and Teo Hernandez left back. Three out of four ain't bad, my boy. Three out of four ain't bad. So who are you arguing on that one? Uh, so I too have Hakimi, Gvardiol, and Teo Hernandez. Oh, uh, particularly coming in as a replacement for his brother Lucas. Yeah, we do wish all the best with his ACL injury. Yeah. My centre-half was Harry Maguire because the amount of stick, the amount of abuse he's gotten at club level for England consistently and in this tournament has not put a foot wrong. Okay. I'm still going to stick with Upamecano because that guy did make it to the final and was save for one or two instances that I can remember, rock solid. And it didn't matter who was playing next to him. He conceded three times. Yeah, but in the final, Harry Maguire didn't even make it to make it to the semifinal. And arguably, arguably it was Slabhead's fault that France scored the second goal. Uh... He has no idea where uh, Giroud is. None of them know where Giroud was. <laughs> that was the problem. Well, okay, for that block, even though it ended up meaning nothing because they lost anyway, I'll give you Dea Upamakano. I was going to say that was a monster block that he had. Yeah, but it meant nothing because they lost anyway. Yeah, okay, but it still kept his team alive for that part. I just watch your midfield three. Um, if you're playing a three, that is the question. I'm going with a – put it this way. I'll go with a three. Is it a three, though? It's more of a four, three, two, one. I mean, one, two. Four, three, one, two. That's a four, three, three for the sake of – Well, a four, three, three basically with a false nine. So, yes. yeah. Cool. Uh, Amrabat, DePaul. And I want to say – I'm going to go with Fernandez as well. Well, Enzo, Enzo Fernandez. Yes. yes. Cool. Uh, I've got Enzo Fernandez. Oh, you must have Amrabat, surely. I've got Sophie and Amrabat, and I've got Jude Bellingham. Absolute, you know, coming of age for Bellingham, because people knew who Jude Bellingham was anyway. But now it's just proven on a world stage. That's how good he is. Amrabat. I think no one had more ball recoveries than him. He was unbelievable. And Enzo Fernandez, if people didn't know who he was. They do now. They fucking do now for Benfica. Uh, under what? Under 21 player of the tournament. Yeah. Rodrigo De Paul is basically Messi's bodyguard. I'm not having him in a team of the tournament. I'm sorry. Over Jude Bellingham, I'll fight you in the street. Nineteen years of age. 
Okay, I'll give you Jude Bellingham. I'll give you Jude Bellingham because, as you said, as you said, coming of age tournament and probably, I mean, he was England's best player. Nineteen years of age. That is that is obscene. Anyway, I think I don't know. I think maybe we probably got two of the same front three. I'd be surprised if we had all three the same. So go on. Well, I mean, obviously Mbappe and Messi picked themselves. Yeah, they picked themselves. I'm going with a false nine of Griezmann. Do you know what? I nearly had Griezmann before I changed it for Enzo Fernandez. Because he was playing deep for he was playing central midfield for France this World Cup. Wasn't playing false nine. So my I've got Messi, I've got Messi, I've got Mbappe, and I've got Cody Gakpo. I'm going again, to put I'm, I'm again, stick. again. If they if people didn't know that Cody Gakpo existed, similar to Enzo Fernandez, they do now. Yes, but uh, I'm going to be hard put to not take Griezmann in because the way he played, especially against Morocco as well, and also in the final. I mean, he put. He he became not the guy who scores anymore, but the guy who basically sets everyone up. Yeah, but my only issue with that was that he wasn't he was playing alongside the likes of Rabio and Chiumani. He wasn't playing false nine. Okay, well, false nine. He, you know, the, not a false the, nine. Then you put him at center attacking mid, which is what he was doing. But then, but I'd still put him in. A midfield basically in a midfield role put Mbappe and Messi up top by themselves I don't care how you put it Griezmann should be in that team I'm willing to flip a coin on this because we could be here for hours um heads it's Griezmann tails it's Cody Gakpo fair enough thank you very much it's heads fuck's sake yeah, buddy. Lightweight. It's fine. Cody Gappo will just be in the Premier League team of the season when United buy him for 50 minutes. It's fine. 50? You think you're going to get him for as little as 50? Well, that's apparently what PSV <laughs> want. He's going to go for more than 50, my friend, especially if it's a Premier League club club calling. My guy, you you are living in a dreamland if you think he's going for 50. That's the That's the only... That's the only figure I've seen thrown around by Dutch journalists. Is yeah, but was that after his World Cup or before? It was today. Fuck. It's fifty million euros, which is about forty-seven million pounds. I'd still say that that is very low, considering uh... it is, and I'll take it every single day of the week. But there oh, we go. Obviously. But yes, that is our rundown of what was a weird World Cup. Yeah, I mean, basically the whole the the thing is, I mean, there was a whole political thing about it before, and we did also make that very well known on this podcast. And I think the main problem is that it should have been solved so much earlier because making a whole big deal about it as it was done so much across media or all Western media, if you will, um, it just was too little, too late. There should have been so much more of an outcry when this whole World Cup was announced. Um, when and in the years after, we had, I mean, there were 12 years in which it could have been done. 
This World Cup was given to Qatar when we were both 12, 13 years old. That just makes me feel really sad. Exactly. But what I'm saying is, you know, at the end of the day, the World Cup happened in Qatar. It happened that we couldn't change it. We should be taking some serious lessons out of that and really looking at FIFA because I think Infantino is running a mock of FIFA and he's going to be worse than Zep Blatter was. I'd argue he already is. Today I feel like FIFA is corrupt. And on that note, I'd say don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, make sure to check out our previous episodes on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and most importantly, Spotify. But as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.